just, stable, and sustainable world for all life. It's the future that 2020 reminded us we really need. While it can be hard to imagine the huge shifts it will take to get there, one thing remains certain, how essential we are to each other. People to people, people to nature, nature to everything. What Are You Doing Here? is a podcast by the Emerging World Project, where voices for and about our Earth and all of her inhabitants come to you with stories from across the globe. Stories that remind us that we can achieve incredible things, but it starts with each of us acknowledging that we are part of something greater than ourselves. I am your host, Addison Brown. And I am your co-host, Marley Alabanza. People to people, people to nature, nature to everything. Indeed, these connections are the bedrock of our existence. When nature thrives, people thrive. But even when we acknowledge this truth on a planetary scale, it's easy to lose sight of what that means to individual communities and individual people. People and nature find ways to thrive together. Let's not forget what that looks like. Most of the world no longer needs to seek food. It comes to us in extraordinary, complex, and sophisticated food systems that have created unparalleled abundance. However, today's food system has become the single greatest cause of global warming, soil loss, chemical poisoning, chronic disease, rainforest destruction, and dying oceans. Because people love to eat and taste, the food system, for all its myriad ills and assaults, offers an extraordinary opportunity to regenerate soil, climate, community, cultures, and human health. It is the keystone solution because it either upholds or degrades every aspect of human endeavor. This connection between soil, climate, and planetary well-being has become clearly evident to community groups, indigenous nations, farmers, big and small, chefs, activists, nutritionists, restaurants, and NGOs worldwide, all of whom are working to reclaim the integrity and nutrition of authentic food and to create a new food system designed to support life on Earth. Our guest today is vegan activist David David Pereira is a former federal food inspector. He has worked in the animal agriculture industry for 15 years and has witnessed many horrible things during his time as an inspector. After some self-reflection and learning that we don't need to eat cows, chickens, or fish to live, he became vegan. David has helped to create and organize many campaigns working with many other activists with the goal of recruitment in mind. He enjoys street outreach and speaking to the public directly. You can find his engaged platform on YouTube, TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. David's work is focused on helping to build a better world for the most vulnerable. Please join us and welcome our guest today, David. 
Hello, David. How are you? I'm doing wonderful. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because um, it's a little bit... Um, I don't know, actually know what the right word is I want to use, but it's just a little bit outside of the direction that the Emerging World Project has been going in with this podcast in particular. Meaning, right. um, this work is hugely important and very much on our radar and very much a topic of conversation. But we just haven't had the conversation. So when I discovered you, I was like, guys, we're going to do this, guys and gals. We're going to do this. And, you know, we don't have to be PETA. They can be PETA. And we can do this in the way that um, we find um, may be heard, right? So these conversations can be heard differently when presented differently. Uh, you might have noticed that by the direction of the questions in which we're going to delve into. But that really has been our aim. And so I'm just really happy about the work that you do and grateful and appreciative. And let's, um, let's get into it. What do you say? Yeah, that's great. And um, I really uh, appreciate everything you guys are doing. And I'm definitely ready to get going. And um, if there's anything I'm kind of falling off, sometimes I need to get brought back into the conversation because... <laughs> Um, well, I'll use, I'll use an excuse as I have flashbacks sometimes, but, uh, sometimes it's, uh, uh, just me being me. <laughs> Your direct experience, I think is the most powerful way in which we can learn from others is by hearing this, um, um, the work in animal activism seems to stem from what I feel is this innate understanding to our interconnectedness to the more than human world. So can you share with us when you first noticed your connection? Uh, that's a great question, Addison. And I just wanted to preface this by saying thank you so much for having me on. Um, I took a look into your bio and um, it's incredible all the work that you've done. And, um, you know, it's really wonderful to be meeting people that do want to make a difference in this world and make a change for the better. And, uh, yeah, I just wanted to say I appreciate everything you're doing um, in Thank trying you. to make uh, the world a better place. Thank you. Um, and, and I really like the, the question because um, it, it kind of delves in a bit deeper than a lot of people think. Um I really actually think it starts at a young age uh, when when we have this interconnectedness with the world. Uh, we're brought up and, uh, you know, we look at uh, the world with just like this. Um, it's hard to say, but uh, just this with this honest uh, opinion of everything. It's it's genuine to us. It's new to us. And so um, I feel like, you know, we we look at animals and we look at other people as, as friends initially until, you know, maybe we grow up a little bit and um, we're told that um, we're eating our friends. And so um, part of, part of what I think starts uh, discrimination or speciesism um, is the fact that we're told we're eating our friends. And, um, 
anytime I've, I've mentioned this to younger uh, folks, um, they've, you know, they've had this reaction, you know, if we show footage or if we talk about uh, the animal agriculture industry as a whole, um, you know, a lot of people have that first uh, inkling to say what's going on. And so um, I think it all starts from our plate. I really do. Um, I think a lot of the isms, speciesism, discrimination, uh, stem from our first our belief that we're we're here together with these beings and then moving to we're eating these beings our friends um you know we start to look at people differently maybe at that point you know um we start to look at the world a lot differently we become skeptical of believing our own intuition and so i think um that's sort of what i think resonates with a lot of people at a young age and i think for myself included i I don't have a particular time um but when i started to work near the end of my career working in the animal agriculture industry i started to notice um, that my intuition was like permeating it was coming outside and um it was a helpless feeling because i wanted to um have it all stop and uh it, it wasn't uh, in a sense, there wasn't much I could do about it other than, um, you know, shut off and uh, kind of bury it at that point until I knew that uh, I could not be a part of it. Yeah. So I do I do hear this and I understand that um, we don't have a very clear, um, say, story of when we recognized it, which I love because it isn't a very clear story of our recognition. It's sort of an accumulation of, of events. And, and, um, but I, I wonder if there is, um, this brings me, as we start to talk about your journey, if there is a sense of a calling, and if there is a, a calling, what does that feel like to you? Yeah, that's a great question. I often think of um, how I ended up where I am today and um, sort of I sometimes look at it as why I was um, put into the situation I was. Obviously, Mm -hmm. a lot of choices were made, but I also felt, too, that I um, had to somehow have everything figured out at at a young age. I think the world tends to place expectations on young individuals uh, to have them have things figured out. So, um, yeah, I think it was just somehow for some strange reason, I believe I was just meant to work where I did, experience what I did, see what I did, um, so that way I could um, help others understand what happens in their food system, to help others understand what's happening um, from, you know, a point of view that uh, sort of would be protecting the public um, from, you know, say disease or, you know, welfare issues happening. And so um, I think it brings a unique perspective uh, to that. And I think a lot of people would more or less resonate with people that maybe were in a position of authority and have changed because of the things that they witnessed. Um, so I, I do feel like it's some sort of a calling for me and I, I and I it, it's hard to put a pinpoint on how it's it's supposed to be, but 
you know, if I can help others relate and see that it's possible to um, make change, um, you know, coming from a background of where I did, then I think I hope I'm hopeful that that will inspire others to create the world that we ought live in, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, indeed. So you come from a couple of generations of slaughterhouse inspectors, and I've heard you say that you greatly, or rather I've read that you greatly look up to your grandfather's journey and thus followed in those same footsteps. What was your immediate thought process for going to do the work in the first place? Yeah, so I think it was... um Again, I, back to previous uh, question, um, I think at some point you're at a, in an age where um, you have these expectations that you need to um, have some things figured out, uh, you know, what you're going to do for a living, um, how that's going to progress your life. And um, I, I think we all have some expectations from our family at some point. Um, but you know, I, I don't like to play a victim card here. I, I did seek this job and I thought it would be an opportunity as well. And I definitely, yeah, I, I looked up to my grandparents. Um, you know, they, uh, lived the quasi Canadian American dream, um, moved from a different country, immigrated, you know, faced some of the, um, some of the things that uh, foreigners would face moving to a new country. And, um, you know, rather than um, um, like taking it to heart, I guess, or um, I guess, um, you know, not progressing in the world, they decided that they were going to make the world they want in this country. And so, I guess, and I think that's the first time I'm actually saying that and uh, realizing that, um, you know, they 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 had some challenges where they where they lived before, and I think uh, you know it, it takes incredible strength to uh, try to make a better world for for your you know your offspring, your family, um, and so um, I think that that came in line with their work ethic and. Uh, how I was treated as a young kid living there uh, pretty much all the time I was there. They, they took care of me well. And so, um, yeah, I guess it, it was rather um, more or less that I think, I think I thought I had to have some things figured out mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I think it's uh, um, quite uh a common theme for a lot of people, um, you know, around right. the age of 20 to 20, whatever, um, that they, they jump into jobs that, that they think they need to, to do and, um, yeah. And have it all figured out at a certain point. Right. And sometimes it feels like making those decisions. I mean, of course we, we make incorrect decisions, um, which leads us, I feel like we step into um, a better understanding of the world that in which we have the power to create. But this sort of pre-doing that is more of an impulse, a survival impulse, without a greater consideration to all the other parts of the puzzle, right? Yeah. It's a 
it's a survival mm, space for us as an individual. We look at just our immediate family and maybe some people in our community, and then we make decisions based on that. And this feels like an era where that, I'm going to use the word awakening, um, is happening, right? Like we have to awaken to that. It saddens me that mm, we've made, as a species, we've made so many mistakes and the overwhelming feeling of those mistakes and wanting to uh, move past them. I want to ask you about what you witnessed, but I don't want you to go somewhere that you don't want to go again. Is that fair? Yeah, that's totally fair. Okay. Because I think Again, first-hand experience for people to hear what you witnessed, and mm, if that was a, an accumulation that caused the change, or oh, you can, I'll let you go with that. Yeah, and um, I often sort of struggle to answer these types of questions because I know the audience perhaps sometimes may be hearing this for the first time. Um, and it could be very shocking and hurtful uh, to know that that you know you could be a part of something um, that you never thought you were a part of, and you sometimes might feel duped, or you might feel ashamed, or um, lots of other uh, feelings, emotions might come to play. Um, so, so when I go into discussing these things, I, I guess I try to take a, um, analogies or, or you know bring together some sort of a story to, to try to help other people make that connection because mm-hmm. I do feel it's important that uh, people hear these stories. And to be honest, if I could imprint, um, you know, some of these emotions on people, um, perhaps uh, that could inspire change. Um, so I guess uh, when looking back, um, you know, I... I, I tend to go to different uh, spots when I was when I started working there. Um, a number of different things flash back to me. Um, so if you can imagine seeing something um, so awful, uh, like if you look back in the categories or the catalog of memories that you have, and if there's a time where you witness something where you you know your heart is racing or you're Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get anxious or you just uh, can't believe it's happening. So you just have all these mixed emotions and you're scared. And, um, you know, all these things were happening as I was, I was coming into like the facility to actually witness exactly uh, what I had had for the, for the first time. And so like, if, if you can imagine like the start of a roller coaster falling down and, um, feeling that uh, fear, um, and you, you're, you're just trying to hold it together, and and you don't want to disappoint um, because you know there was a lot of effort taken to get you that job, and um, you also come in a position where you're um, uh, paid by you know the public to be there for them, so um, to um, jump into this fear or or allow that to overtake you, uh, perhaps you might miss something. Um, so uh, when I when I was coming into this place, you know, I, I just remember um, going into this change room area where the smell was 
um, you know, unbelievable. If you can imagine driving out in the farm fields and you, you smell that smell, um, mm. and, uh, just imagine that times, you know, maybe a thousand mm. and, uh, it's permeating actually into your skin and it stays with you even as you drive home at night. And so I remember just walking down to this, um, bay area where there's this big transport truck and, um, I could barely see because there's so many feathers and dust in the air. And uh, no matter where you touched, your hand was going to be touching um, feces um, because it was everywhere. And so, like, you see, you know, these big, strong men throwing these crates down, and you see these birds shaking and rattling in uh, these crates, and you kind of look in their eyes and I think that's the moment where you realize this is this is real and this is what I'm I'm doing and um, I guess the only way you, you could do is observe it and uh, not allow those emotions to take you over because I, I don't care who you are um, anybody who would see such a thing would definitely um, especially in the beginning would would completely uh, break down and. Um, I think, uh, the more you do it, the, obviously the more you shut your emotions off. And I think that's what happened with me. And I think that's what happens with people in general. They think they're doing it for a reason, you know? Mm-hmm. Did you ever have the opportunity to have a conversation with the gentlemen that were handling the crates or any of the people with inside? Yeah. So that's, um, uh, was one of my jobs actually was to ensure the welfare of the animals was being, uh, taken into consideration by the employees and, uh, I was there to govern it. Um, so there were definitely many conversations that took place. However, when you would bring these issues up, to you know management or other inspectors i guess they didn't they didn't see much of a problem with it um because you know the the line speeds are so fast and you they're trying to keep up with uh you know times and quotas and stuff like that the the animals somehow lose their um value in life they just they're looked at as a commodity and so you know i i've seen a number of things i've seen um these animals being thrown i've seen you know trucks um run over them um i've seen a lot of really Mm -hmm. awful things um uh in 15 years i went to court uh just twice after documenting hundreds of these types mm. of issues. And so I didn't see any progress in that. And um, yeah, it's just a, it's an awful thing when you see these things happening and you don't have the support to try to mm-hmm. uh, mitigate it because that was my mindset then. Obviously my mindset's changed since then. Um, but yeah. Right. So when you decided to leave that job, did you was there a pivotal conversation that you had with your family and friends based on your change of heart, change of mind? Yeah, so um, 
for a number of years there, especially near the end, um, I, I really shut off. Um, so although I do have a lot of friends and family, I, especially around that time, I, I sort of disconnected with a lot of people. So, and two, I had a bit of fear. It's a good, great question because I, I don't know that I've actually discussed that. Uh, I had a bit of fear, um, you know, what, what sort of backlash I would get, um, you know, leaving this. Uh, my grandfather helped me get the job. He still had friends in the agency and the disappointment maybe from the rest of my family. And, you know, this is a government job. You have a pension. You have all these factors coming into play. And so innately, I, I just intuitively knew I need to leave the job. And I guess um, when I would have those conversations, I don't know that I was completely genuine with them. Um, I, I think uh, I would just say that I'm looking at a different career path or something like that as opposed to telling them exactly what happened, because I don't know if I could put that on somebody else. And I, and I still struggle with uh, sharing that type of stuff today. Um, as I've awoken to, you know, this, this idea that sharing these things is helpful. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, I'm just, I'm really, um, it's like a hard conversation um, because I can feel you and I feel it. I feel it so deeply and I want these conversations and I want, I want to have these conversations and I want your healing because I think your healing is my healing and that healing then translates to the healing of our world, which is in desperate need of it. So in a way, I feel like I, I, I want somebody, I want you to have somebody to listen to, to listen to you, deeply listen to you. Um, and that interconnectedness will then be understood. So um, in that vein, what do you feel is the most effective way to get us humans to reconsider our values when it comes to making these kinds of choices to harm or consume animals? Yeah, it's, um, I think, a question that a lot of us ponder um, sometimes more than once a day. You know, what what can we do to effectively make the change that um, we want to see in our world that would uh, bring all earthlings into a harmonious state of consciousness. And so I often think of these things and strategize. I'm an organizer of some events here where I live and, um, you know, we're always trying to reinvent how we do our activism. So I don't know that there's a one size fits all solution, but like, I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. So a friend of mine, um, you know, they, they picked up a leaflet, um, at some market in Florida and nobody nobody told them to take it they just saw it there they picked it up off the table and it had some information in there to watch a, a movie called Dominion um, and it showcases uh, the animal agriculture industry's standard industry practices and so after watching it that night they became vegan 
and they've been an advocate ever since. Um, so that's, you know, just one example of where, um, you know, someone saw that. For, for me personally, you know, I found street outreach uh, to be the most effective for me. Um, and obviously sharing my experiences with others through podcasts and interviews and such. Um, I think uh, also like speeches. I know that there's motivational speeches that help in every field. Um, but I, I've seen a few, uh, especially in the animal rights, just to help people bring that connection to, you know, our our relationship with other animals, other beings, and so, and how we can uh, all live in, in a, in a state together. So it's, I think that, that those are a few things that uh, do help uh, move us into a better um, way moving forward. Now, since you've become a vegan, um, there's always two topics within that. Uh, well, there's a few, but health, mm, I always get you know, questions about the health, how healthy it is, and then ethics, which to me um, is the bigger uh, question. So of those two, what have been most powerful for you? Well, I would say that, um, so when we're looking at veganism, and I, I'm sure you, you, you agree, um, so when we look at the core values, like the philosophy of veganism, and we see um, it as an injustice, you know, um, what's happening to, you know, these earthlings. And so we often look to like health and an environment uh, as, as some sort of a motivator. But to me, that then becomes about ourselves and not necessarily the individual suffering going through this every day. And so that sort of is the way I like to frame it um, and look at it as there's a victim involved. And um, those, those are the, should be the primary motivators because as selfish humans, sometimes we uh, take other issues and, and look at it, how it's going to benefit us as opposed to benefiting, um, you know, others in, in humanity. Um, but I would say, you know, I, I have with the health side of things seen, you know, um, an impact in my life. I know that, uh, like as far as exercise and eating and having a clear head, um, I've, I've never felt, uh, that in my entire life ever since I've, I've gone vegan. Now I know that's, that can be anecdotal and, um, I think it's more of a motivator, um, or a decision for people, uh, when it comes to food choices, uh, whether they, they want to be active or healthy or eating right. Um, but I think all the science has shown that we can definitely thrive if we want on a vegan diet. Uh, when I think about the American diet and the American plate that has been put forth, and I'm going to say after World War II, that plate included, you know, protein, carb, veg, right, with protein being the biggest one. And as we discover more and more, that has nothing to do with it any at all. That was a post-war, I want to say propaganda in a way. Um, But it's hard for people to mm, let that go or even look into it more, more deeply, right? Like they're, they're insistent upon this, this protein element 
that must be there without understanding the variety of proteins that will come through other things, plants, beans, things, grains, things like that. I want to talk to you about um, if you have any conversations with um, hunters and how would you approach a conversation when it comes to the culture of hunting? Yeah, that's um, a great question and interesting because I was actually watching a live debate on hunting uh, yesterday. And so, you know, I think the thing is, if anyone's listening right now, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily see that hunter or that person who's um, living off the land, you know, listening to a podcast or, um, you know, living in the community or, or just, um, you know, having the access that um, most people do. And so when we look at culture and tradition, of course, over history, we can see that we've had many cultural practices that can be brutal often. And so um, throughout human history, we've, been, we've tried, or it looks like movements have tried to move away from these types of things. And although I understand that there are um, situations where it's just not possible to um, not um, use animals for their, their skin or their secretions or for food, I think the vast majority of people um, do have the opportunity to shy away from that, whether it's cultural or not. Um, and, and a way I look at it too is, and oftentimes, um, and I don't mean to get into too much of religion here, but you know, the question I will ask, is it a prerequisite to kill an animal to, um, say, get into heaven? So I don't know that it's a prerequisite in these cultures to kill animals, to eat them as well. Um, I think oftentimes that comes down to choice. Mm -hmm. And then the question then becomes, does our choice equate to, say, um, you know, taste pleasure or something like that when we have alternatives. When we eat, we make a choice. When we choose a food, we either improve the world or harm it, honor our body or injure it, sustain the conditions that are conducive to life or degrade them. You are listening to our conversation with David. David is a former slaughterhouse inspector turned vegan activist. Please don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. I often sit in conversations and with well-intentioned folks um, let's say we're on the subject of oceanography and uh, ways in which we can um, protect in our ocean that is our intention in a group think and in more often than not in these conversations somebody 
will get hijacked by their trauma. They'll get hijacked by their trauma of something completely unrelated to that which we're trying to bring in new ideas or innovation. Let's say all of a sudden it becomes about race or all of a sudden it becomes about ethics because that person has been hijacked by their trauma, an undigested trauma, and then the conversation is over. And I I feel like um, as individuals that that undigested trauma, ha- that, that the only way to move past that is to make sure that we've digested our trauma and then move into those, those spaces to um, try and have a conversation that becomes a, a, a global-centered consciousness, right? So the, the, uh, any culture, it's not any culture, it's a global culture. And I feel like that's the, one of the ways, <laughs> hopefully, that we will actually move forward or emerge. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's uh, wonderful. I I'm reading a book uh, now that really talks about that. Um, mm. uh, looking inside, uh, creating yourself, and creating the best version of yourself. Mm-hmm. And so I think um, we often. Um, forget that people aren't in the same um on the same level as us as far as you know a lot of different things and mm-hmm. so i think we need to sometimes push the brakes and and realize that we're in this together like we right. would be helping a friend or a family member right. um and helping someone who's just not to that realization um now Sometimes that's easier said than done um, with animal rights um, because emotions do get involved, um, and I, I, I'm guilty of it myself, where I've gotten too emotional, um, and and maybe said some things that I shouldn't have. Um, but it's very good to reflect back and and remember the end goal. It's 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 right. not about our ego. It's not about us. Right. It's about it's about everyone. And I think that's um, an important distinction that people uh, often forget, um, you know, in their day to day. But it's it's great to slow down and reflect. Most definitely, most definitely. It uh, brings me to my next question about the complicatedness and complexity of activism. Right? Without. Uh, I won't say without, but it's complicated and and complex because of our own uh, personal trauma and and an inability to uh, be aware of it before it hijacks our thought process. So, what what would you say to a young person looking to get involved in animal agriculture activism? I speak with a lot of young people. Uh, and they have remarkable, they have remarkable insight. It seems I'm noticing as if they've been born mm, uh, hooked up to it in a sense, because yeah. I might ask them like, why? And it was like, oh, I just, it's always been this way. I would never eat an animal, right? So yeah. hard, you know, they, they come in all wired up. Um, and then there's others that, of course, do not. 
are, or I don't have mm, that kind of response. So I guess for somebody like yourself that has gone through this from one end to the other, what would you, um, what would you say to young people looking to get involved? Yeah, that's great, Addison. I mean, I've I've seen it myself. It's undeniable, really, that um, it seems this generation um, is just so much more inviting, and um, they're not uh, shy on their beliefs and how they see things. Um, mm-hmm. It's as if they were born sometimes without an ego, mm-hmm. and so. Um, um, it's great. Uh, yeah. I reflect back to an event that we recently did at a university. And, um, so we had some cookies and it was watch a scary movie, have mm-hmm. a cookie. And so it was obviously of the animal agriculture industry and it was, a, a VR headset. So they were really entranced and engaged with what, what happens. And so afterwards we interviewed them and I think all but one, you know, were really impacted and they said it's not right what we're doing this isn't cool this is not fair we shouldn't be doing this and so it was just really so impactful um to see and to see that they were just so open it just it's so refreshing and it gives you um you know this um uh, sense of calm knowing that uh you know we have these people that are going to change the world and they're gonna yeah. um, maybe be the generation that flips it on its head and uh so i guess what i would say to um you know and i have said it uh and some of the events i asked them like do they want to shape the world they live in um and oftentimes you know the people are looking for a purpose in life. They're, mm-hmm. they're not necessarily given some of these purposes and what, what better purpose could there be than to, um, you know, elevating humanity and having earthlings all live in harmony. Um, so I'd also say like, like I'm not experienced at any of this. This is all still learning for me. And, and if I'm able to go out and speak and learn things like confidence and, um, learn how to speak to people out in the streets. I, I think it's possible for anyone. And so, you know, it, 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 the main thing for me is, is, and I always pointed out, it's, it's really not that difficult when you look at it from a different perspective, from say a victim's perspective or somebody else's. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that gives me more of a, of a ability to speak to, um, people uh with passion because then then it isn't about me it's just about others so yeah i've been thinking a lot about how it is we flip ourselves to see the perspective of the other right i know that we've created a tremendous amount of distance in our ability to do that, but there must be an avenue at which we can teach how to flip that um, and do that because it, you know, it's not easy. It's not easy to get out of self. And I'm not even certain that it's about getting out of self, but it's definitely closing down some element of, you know, the, the, solidity of yourself and looking from the other. I mean, maybe we just don't 
well, most people just maybe don't even want to look. So you hold up a picture of a pig with the sign and I'm crying and I get it. But, you know, someone says, oh, that's going to be good dinner or something like that shut off is so, I don't understand. Yeah, that's, it's interesting, right? It's interesting where the the human mind goes. It's almost as if it goes to like a child, like state where like, no, 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 I'm not going to listen to anything that you say, you know, tantrum, like, um, so we call that like cognitive dissidence. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think we all have it, uh, probably entrenched in us. Um, and yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's hard for people just to step outside of their, you know, comfortable circle, um, comfortable way of life. Um, you know, I've been fairly, um, lucky to be surrounded by so many open-minded people and, mm-hmm. um, people that consistently push my boundaries. But when you're not in that, I, I can see where it might be a challenge. Um, mm-hmm. And this is these are some of the things we actually talk about when we're looking at creating events or um, gaining membership to to do uh, you know these things. Is how do we make people feel comfortable? How do we engage them and uh, make them feel part of the community? Yeah, that community is really, I was going to ask you about that, but I think earlier you talked about the ways in which, you know, this type of activism builds community and, and, and educates. Yeah. And, and, about that. Right. And for me personally, like I have a wild card because of where I work. So I, I don't often bring it into a conversation mm-hmm. until I hear someone say this can be done ethically. And then I can say, well, you know, to be honest, I don't think it can be. And even if it was some sort of utopia where it could be done perfectly, um, I don't think it's right. I don't think many would agree that it's right to take someone's life, you know, just for something as simple as a sensory uh, pleasure. Um, But I would also say, like, um, you know, respecting people and their boundaries and uh, you know, trying not to argue, but I do still believe in some sort of uh, mirroring people uh, where they're at. I think that that gives us some sort of sense of comfort as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I I, I, I look forward to seeing what's going to happen. Um, you know, when when some of these things are are starting to really change, and I and I, I have a sense that it's already starting to do that. Yes, yes. I feel, I sense it every day um, because the people I speak with is a a mixture. There are those in my echo chamber (laughs) and then there are just those that because I want to have, I want to be able to have the conversation. But I, I am beginning to notice not only in the products that are coming out, but in the uh, willingness for people to to um, take it on, even if they don't know. Like I'm not really, I know there's a transition period. I understand that, but I'm not a big, I never ate animals. So it's not something that I have to transition to doing, but I understand those that ate burgers and now have the option to eat plant-based burgers. So I understand that and I'm happy to see that I'm in Los Angeles, which is a very restaurant food oriented space. 
<laughs> um, and I'm happy to see so many restaurants having those options. And then, then full-on restaurants, full-on Italian restaurants having those options, which I also love because I think about this Italian restaurant and the chef there who's, you know, uh, considers herself very, well, not considers, she is Italian with Italian traditions, but is willing to take all of those traditions and turn them into plant-based everything. And that to me is a huge, wonderful step, huge, wonderful step, because there's no holding on to, well, you know, we eat rabbit, that's what we do, right? Or we eat cows, that's what we do. It's part of our tradition. You know, it's Christmas, we have to have, you know, um, that's, yeah, I, 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 I'm with you. I'm, I'm seeing it and I think it's, it's happening and that brings me joy. And, and meeting people like you brings me tremendous joy and hope and inspiration. So I want to just thank you from, from the deepest sense of my being for the work that you're doing, the time and the energy and the love and concern that you're putting for humanity and the more than human world, um, out into the world. I just, I'm your biggest, biggest fan. Oh, Allison, thank you. I, <laughs> that's so much to take in. I really yeah. appreciate it. And Absolutely. like, I, I wouldn't be able to have these channels to be able to try to push out a message of compassion if it weren't for people like you and all the work you've done and um, knowing that it's possible that you can do these things and multiple projects, multiple um, avenues of change. It's uh, it's great to see that uh, it's possible. So I really appreciate everything you do as well. Absolutely. So my my last question is is just sort of for fun. Um, if you had a billboard for all the world to see, what would it say and why? Oh, wow. That's a really, uh, that's a great question. It's like a put on the spot question. You know? <laughs> Wait, um, didn't you get my email? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it's something you could ponder for days on this question. And like you, you could do the traditional and I guess maybe I, I was thinking more on lines of, you know, maybe putting a, a slaughterhouse worker up there with a knife in hand and blood and say, you know, there's more victims that, uh, than you know have mm. or know of. Um, or, you know, you could just put a, a cute picture of a pig up there and, uh, and that's it, you know, just a canvas of a cute pig up there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and just show people how, you know, beautiful these uh, beings can be. Yeah. <laughs> delightful absolutely delightful david thank you again we're going to wrap this up it's been beautiful speaking with you i want to give you um, the space to say anything if i've missed anything that you would like to share at this time yeah no that's uh, a wonderful addison i really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me today and um, yeah, I, I don't really have much more to say other than, uh, you know, 
if I can make uh, just a little bit of change, I'm sure a lot of people out there can make a big change. And um, to be honest, it's really not a lot to to be a little bit active, you know, reach out to maybe an MP if you're, um, you know, seeing something that's not right, uh, that you're, you're not in for, like we, we can collectively make change. Uh, so a member of parliament or a city official, or even just out in the street, if you, you give out stickers or food or, you know, all these forms of, um, of, you know, if the intent is right, uh, can create that impact, that change we want. And, uh, I challenge anybody to get out there and, uh, you know, put the pause on the Netflix for a night and, and make something happen. Beautiful. Well, we will make sure to include all of the information. You have some wonderful information uh, on your YouTube space, all of your spaces. So we will make sure that we bring people to your space to give them the information they need and the inspiration. Yeah, that's great. And if you want to support my work, I do have a Patreon. So I'm actually trying to look to do this uh, at a part-time, even full-time capacity, which I do already, but it would just uh, be easier if I could just focus on that 24 hours a day if possible. Let's make that happen. Let's make that happen. Have yourself a beautiful day. I don't know what time it is for you, but um, the whole day ahead of us. You as well. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for stopping by. You can help us spread the word about what are you doing here by sharing this episode or leaving a review in your favorite podcast app. Reviews help potential listeners see that our show is worth their time and every single one makes a difference. For a deeper look at what the Emerging World Project is up to, head on over to emergingworldproject.org. The Emerging World Project studios are on Tongva land.